message entitled, Drowning Shrubbery, A Grateful Leper, and God in Your Grasp. It's out of Luke 17, and let's get right after it, starting with Drowning Shrubbery, okay? This is out of Luke 17, um, verses 3 through 6. This is Jesus talking. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles, the disciples, said to the Lord, Increase our faith. <laughs> and he replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, the shrub, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now in these verses, Jesus is talking to some of his closest friends, the disciples, and he's talking to them about their need to forgive. And you have to remember, they grew up in the eye-for-an-eye eye era. They grew up in an era where if somebody hurt you, you were expected, and it was absolutely okay, that you could hurt them back as long as the pain that you brought to them didn't exceed the pain that they brought to you. Like, if they broke your arm, you could break both of their arms. You could only break one of their arms. That's the era that they grew up in. Everything had to be fair. Along comes Jesus, and he tells his friends, yeah, I want you to take it farther than that. I don't want you to do what's fair. I want you to actually do what's loving. I want you to move all the way to forgiveness. And the disciples instantly replied, you've ever increased our faith. Because they knew right off the bat, if they were going to get all the way to forgiveness, not just treating things as fair, but doing the loving thing, the forgiving thing, the merciful thing, that was beyond them. And they needed an extra scoop of faith in order to get there. And then Jesus says, if you have faith, even a teensy, weensy amount of it, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the shrub, cast yourself out in the ocean, and it'll do it. Which is weird. Do you ever read, when you read the Bible, do you stop and just notice how weird it is sometimes? That is a weird statement. I don't know why anybody would want to use their God-given gift of faith to drown shrubbery in the ocean. I have no idea. That's like finding out you have a superpower, say the ability to fly. But the only way, the only reason you use your superpower is to fly up to the top of housetops so you can better do a better TV job on the house. That's what is going on here. It's just weird. It makes no sense at all. But back to these verses. The passage that we just read makes some people beat themselves up. They read this and they think, oh my gosh, even people with a little teeny amount of faith are able to drown trust. They're able to participate in the miraculous. And I can't. I can't even look at a spoon and try to bend it with my faith, okay? So I must be a total failure in the faith department. A couple of things here I want to say about faith. The first starts with two words, little bitty. There's a country song by Alvin Jackson that was famous probably 10 years ago called It's Alright to Be Little Bitty. And once you've heard it once, you can't forget it. It will ruin your life, okay? Once you heard it once and it goes, it's alright to be little bitty. Little bitty house, little bitty yard, little bitty dog, little bitty car. It's alright to be little bitty. And it's an annoying little song. It's a total twang fest. But they're right. When it comes to the faith department, it's all right to be a little bitty. When you examine the grammar of this verse in the original language, which I've done before in another sermon, but I'm going to revisit it, it's a game changer. Because actually it doesn't say, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to the shrub, go drown yourself in the sea and do that. It actually says, 
if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which you do, you could say to this shrub, go drown yourself in the ocean, and it would do it. That is a game changer. So this isn't Jesus belittling his friends or scolding them because they have no faith. It's him inviting them, and all of us actually, into living out the faith that we already have, that's already inside of us. He's basically saying it's all right to be a little bitty in the faith department because it only takes a little bit of faith to do things and you already have that deposited inside of you. That's a cool thing. Second thing I want to mention about faith has to do with feelings. It's okay in your life, you have to accept this about yourself, that you're going to at times feel like you have absolutely no faith. I was reading the story recently of Eddie Hillsome, and she is a Holocaust survivor, and Holocaust was just hell on earth. I mean, there's no way to describe it except hell on earth. And her parents were being put in a transitional camp and were getting ready to be shipped to Auschwitz, where they would have been gassed and incinerated. And she could have got away, but she chose to join them there. That shows you what kind of person she is. And when she got to this transitional camp, one of the first persons she came in contact with was this adolescent girl who was just skin and bones, and she was partially paralyzed, and she was just all eyeballs, just giant eyes. And Eddie went up to her, and the girl said to her, I've been chosen. I have to go. I'm getting shipped out today. It's so hard to know you're going to die. That's what she said. And a little Russian lady in broken English was standing right next to him said to Eddie, kind of apologetically almost, she goes, don't you think God's going to be okay with my doubt right now? Oh, just heartrending, okay? Sometimes life is so awful and so difficult, it will seem impossible to feel like you have faith, but you do. Let's say your spouse or your roommate contracts some kind of food poisoning, and they're kneeling before Ralph, the great white throne in your bathroom, and they're kneeling before the throne, they're liberating your lunch, and you're holding their hand or holding their hair up. At that moment, you don't think to yourself, I feel such a tremendous amount of love for this person right now. You don't. You don't feel any love at all. You're kind of grossed out, okay? But your love is still there. I talk to people all the time who go through difficult, sucky circumstances in their life, and they don't feel like they have any faith. And that makes them believe, oh, great, my life is even worse now. Not only is my life full of trouble and difficulty, but now I've lost contact with God. Or at the very least, I've disappointed God. And they feel like there's no faith at all resting in their life, when the reality is the exact opposite is true. They're actually radiating faith every minute of every day. By faith, they got out of bed that morning to try and face another day. By faith, they dared to hope that their life was actually going to get better and it wasn't always going to be like this. By faith, they got mad at God. Sometimes getting mad at God is an act of faith. By faith, they got mad at God because they believe that God is with them and for them. They just don't understand why their circumstances are so screwed up. So they get mad at him, and it's actually an act of faith. By faith, they end up reaching out to other people who are suffering in similar circumstances. By faith, these people even have the ability to laugh. They prance their way through the poop in their life. They, they dance through the minefield of their trouble. They say to their despair, screw you despair, I'm going to keep my joy. Thank you very much. These people are drowning shrubs all over the place. They are displaying faith 
on a minute-by-minute basis throughout their day, they just don't feel it, but it's still there, and it'll still be there for you, too. There's an Old Testament book named Habakkuk, which is one of the most phonetically pleasing names in all of Scripture, Habakkuk. And there's a prophet in this book named Habakkuk, okay? <laughs> and he says one of the most famous verses, this is a very, this scripture is quoted all the time, and I'll pop it up on the screen. He says this, the righteous shall live by faith. He says this to a group of people who are confused and in great amounts of distress. So he's not telling them, hey, you know who the people that are going to live by faith are? They're the pious, priggish, holier-than-thou people. Those are the people that will live by faith. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying the people that will live by faith, the people that will actually live out their faith and stay in close contact with God are the people who take the promises of God seriously enough to rant and struggle and doubt. They're the people that don't pretend that everything's okay. In fact, they do just the opposite. And they stand before Jesus, and in a moment of desperation, they say, this is beyond me. You need to increase my faith. I need an extra scoop right now, just like the disciples did. All right? Let's move on to the grateful leper. Okay, this is out of Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Let me read this story to you. Now, as on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, kind of no man's land in their, in their situation. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity or have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, just shouting, thank you, thank you. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this form? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is a great story. It's ten lepers that were suffering, the, the disease of leprosy is absolutely appalling, and it not only makes people suffer physically, but it made them suffer emotionally as well, because they had to walk along the streets with bells on their neck, like a beast of burden, like a cow, shouting to people, unclean, unclean, so that people could cross the streets, so they wouldn't come in close contact with them, and somehow, you know, get leprosy themselves. It was awful, they were untouchable, they were unwanted. To be healed of leprosy is really to get your life back, and the thing that jumps out at you about the story when you read it is only one person came back to say thank you, and he was a foreigner. Which, in your life, I'm not going to you know, talk about this too much, but in your life you're going to notice that the people others have labeled as unbelievers and outsiders and maybe foreigners to the faith are actually in closer contact with God than a lot of people that label themselves believers. You're going to find that happen all the time, but that's a whole other sermon, okay? But, out of these ten lepers, only one comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. So that other nine lepers got healed. This guy got even more. He got gathered. He got connected to the human. I mentioned gratitude a few weeks ago, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it again today because gratitude is such a powerful and easy. Gratitude connects you to other people and it connects you to God in, in a way that I don't know if anything else actually can. About a week ago, my wife and I went to a movie with Joe 
Joel and Melissa Skinner, and it was the one that was about Mr. Rogers, you know, Fred Rogers, it was uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. It's kind of a documentary, many of you have seen it. It's actually really good, if you haven't seen it, you should see it, okay? This guy lived out of space, it was amazing. Well, I'm not gonna ruin the movie for you, but there's this poignant moment, I'm actually just gonna ruin part of the end. Okay, <laughs> but it's okay, it's still worth seeing, all right? There's this poignant moment at the end of the movie, and it's actually an excerpt from a commencement speech that Fred Rogers gave at a university, and it's so impacting me, I wrote it down. This is what he says to this, this large group of graduates. He says, all along the way, you graduates have had people in your lives who have helped you become who you are today. From the time you were very little, you've had people who have talked you into talking, who have sung you into singing, who have loved you into loving. And on this extra special day, let's take a minute of silence to think of those extra special people. Some of them may be right here. Some of them may be a long way away. Some of them might be in heaven. No, no matter where they are, deep down you know they've always wanted the best for you. And then they took one minute of silence as a way to express their gratitude to those people. We're totally going to do that right now. Yeah, some of you are afraid of that. We are bad at silence in our culture. We're going to do it, but we're going to take baby steps. I'm only going to ask you to do 30 seconds, because one minute is going to seem like an eternity to you. Trust me, try it on my own, okay? So we're going to take 30 seconds today. I just want you to silently, don't let your mind zone out and think about football games later on today. Just simply think about the people who have made you who you are, that have brought so much to your life, that have loved you into loving, that have sung you into singing. Think of those people just in silence right now. We'll just do it for 30 seconds. I'll do it with you, and then we'll move on. Let's do it. Ready? It's humbling, isn't it? I, I instantly just face this flight across the screen of my mind, and I'm just aware of how much people have given me. It's, it's a very humbling thing. Please spend time in gratitude. It connects you to the people around you, no matter how far away they are. And please spend time in gratitude to God. Give voice to your gratitude, the original one who loved us into loving, who healed us into healing. It's so great to experience healing. I hope all of you experience healing in a myriad of forms, but most of all, I want all of you to experience being connected to the healer, like the temple of the gods. All right? Now let's move on to our last little point today, God in our grasp. This is also out of Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 22. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. You can't see it. Normal people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's where it's at. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Interesting, okay? Um, 
In these verses, there's a group of religious leaders, Pharisees, and they're asking Jesus this interesting question. When will the kingdom of God arrive? And that's a great question. But you have to realize that Jesus and the religious leaders had a completely different view of what that phrase, the kingdom of God, actually meant. The religious leaders thought meant this, that the kingdom of God is when this Messiah figure would appear. This really powerful Messiah figure who would ride into town in a great display of not only military might, but political might, and would start wiping out the Roman oppressors that have made their life miserable for years and years and years. That's what the arrival of the kingdom of God meant in their minds. For Jesus, the kingdom of God had absolutely nothing to do with political power or military might. For Jesus, the arrival of the kingdom of God meant a time arriving when people would actually live in God's ways. When they would live the life that God always intended them to have. Life that they were connected to each other and connected in love to God. That's what the kingdom meant to him. And here's the cool part. When Jesus says the kingdom of God in this verse, he's using the present tense. Okay? And when he says within you, it actually means within your midst or in your grasp. So Jesus is telling these religious leaders and all of us, he's saying, the arrival of the kingdom of God is not a future event. It's happening right now. And it's not about a military or political leader. It's about me. And I'm right in front of you. And they couldn't see it. And so many people today can't see it. That the kingdom of God is actually in our midst. Jesus is right in front of us. He's in our grasp. There's a thing. You can look it up. You can Google it. It's called inattentional blindness. And I want to show you what it has to do with God in our midst. And I want to show you a little video about inattentional blindness. And this video is about a comedian. He's named The Magic Singh. He's actually quite good. Just watch this. And try to pay really close attention to what's going on. And you're going to miss a lot. Trust me. Okay? Can we play this back here? Watch this next sequence carefully. At the end, I'll ask you a question about what you see. Hi, I'm Magic Singh, and today we're in Porta Bella Road. And I'm going to show you guys a classic in magic. Using matches. And today to help me out, here's Mark. Mark, tell you what, place your hand up and be nice and flat. Now, I promise this one I've known, alright? So here's the idea, let's just light this up. And if you close onto that nice and tight, here we go, watch this. Keep watching. I don't know if you felt that or not. I'll tell you what, have a look inside. Open it up. See how the match has actually returned into the book, and it's still burnt. Okay, you're not impressed, alright? It was my first trick ever. But here's the idea, just place that back in your hand. Close it tight, and turn it face down again if you can. Now we use one more thing, and we're going to use a magician's best friend, playing notes. Now the idea is really simple, we're going to choose one. So take any one you like. Perfect. Have a look for yourself, and do me a favour, show the camera as well if you can. Brilliant, and you know what? Place it back face up on the deck. Now it doesn't matter if I see what the card is, because we're going to do something completely different. Just watch this, here we go, follow slowly. Watch the king. I don't know if you felt that or not. So anyway, I'll look inside. Open it up. Uh -huh. Check it out. Hey, King of Blood. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Did you watch your thoughts right there? Alright. Now, if you're like me, you're going to discover that you have unintentional blindness. Because I watched this video trying to pay as close attention as I could so I wouldn't miss anything. 
And then at the end of the video, when they describe it, I realize I missed everything, okay? There are three important changes that happen when you are watching the trick. First thing that happened, when he does the trick and then pans into the trick with the match and then pans back out, he has changed his very bright red scarf on his pocket. You didn't notice that. Then they go into the second trick. They pan back into the guy with the, with the car trick and they pan back out. And the Magic Singh guy has changed his shirt. He's not wearing a collar shirt anymore. He's wearing a t-shirt underneath his blazer. And the last time they pan in and pan back out, you probably didn't realize this. The guy in the white shirt that he was doing this trick with is a totally different dude. And a completely different person than the guy that started the trick. I didn't catch any of those things. We have inattentional blindness. Sometimes we pay attention to what we think we're supposed to pay attention to and we miss out on all these other things that are going on. On a spiritual level, we have inattentional blindness when it comes to God. We are so focused on what we want to see from God, we miss out on what we need to see from God. These Pharisees were so focused on the arrival of a military leader, they were looking for it. And they missed out, because they were looking for that military Messiah, they missed out on the real Messiah, Jesus, who is standing right in front of them. God is in our midst, he's in our grasp. Put a comma there, I'm going to come back to it. I want to put up another famous verse out of Psalm 118. This is quoted all the time. Some people even have it up on decorations in their house. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have you ever read that verse and felt kind of guilty because you're thinking, this is the day that God has made? <laughs> this day with fires and hurricanes and heartache and divorce and problems and crime? This is the day the Lord has made, and I'm supposed to rejoice in this day somehow and be glad of it? Are you kidding me? How can I even do that? And what's that have to do with God in our midst? Let me explain. There's a big difference between two words, awareness and analysis, okay? Most people analyze things. And analysis is when you pull something apart and take it apart in order to examine it or scrutinize it. And that's what we do with our days, isn't it? That's when you woke up this morning, a lot of you were thinking of what happened in your life yesterday. And you analyzed that day. And it's easy when you analyze a day to point out all the things that went wrong in your day. If I asked you what went right with yesterday, some of you go, oh, I don't know. But if I asked you what went wrong, you could list 10 things right off the bat. Well, that guy cut me off. And, and you know, that I hurt the dinner and all that kind of stuff. We analyze it, and it's easy for us to proclaim, oh my gosh, this day? This isn't the kind of day that the Lord would have made, and I'm certainly not going to rejoice in it. This day was a super fire, okay? And it's easy to get cynical when you analyze your days. But awareness is totally different. Awareness is when you wake up in the morning and you see the day for what it is. You know there's going to be problems and troubles in that day, but you also know that that day contains more than that. It contains possibilities, and it contains promises, and it contains... God. Awareness helps us to truly believe that this day, even with all its trouble, is the day that the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in it. And this day is significant. It's way more than just a stepping stone on our way to eternity. Somehow eternity is crammed into the time and space that we call today. God's kingdom is in our midst. It's in our grasp. Jesus is right in front of us. All we have to do is push the 
and stop and actually notice his presence in our life and be healed of our inattentional blindness. I want to tell you a story of a woman that wraps it all up that was healed of her intentional blindness. She's one of my favorite authors, Annie Lamott, or some people call her Annie Lamott, and she tells the story of how she first met Jesus, and it was just great. And her life was a disaster at this time. She was enduring, she was an adult, and she was enduring one of the darkest, bleakest seasons of her life, absolutely horrible. So she went back to her houseboat that she was living on in the Bay Area, and she went to just drink her troubles away, quite frankly. So she cracked open her bottle and was guzzling away, when all of a sudden, inside the houseboat, she was aware that she wasn't alone. And somehow, she doesn't know how, but somehow she knew that the presence in the life in the houseboat, not the lifeboat, the houseboat with her, was Jesus. She doesn't tell us why she knew that, but she knew it was Jesus. And she was absolutely appalled to know it was Jesus. She was thinking, oh my gosh, what are my progressive-minded, wonderful, brilliant friends going to think when I tell them, I meant Jesus, I'm a Christian now. She was appalled. So she looks at the presence, looks directly at where she thought the presence was, and says, I would rather die. <laughs> and she spends the next few days and weeks trying to avoid that presence. But the presence of Jesus just lovingly and patiently stayed with her, and she got the sense that his presence was following her around like a stray cat. And she tried to ignore it. It's not something you do a stray cat because you feed them their ears forever, right? So you didn't want to pay attention to this presence. She kept ignoring it. Then one day she got up and miraculously she decided, I'm going to go to church. And she would never would have thought that. And she goes, I'm going to go to church today. She goes to church. She's way too hungover to even stand during the singing. That's the state she's in. And she thought the sermon was as ridiculous as somebody trying to convince her that, you know, UFOs and aliens existed. But then during the last song, she said, everything changes. The people were singing their hearts out to God. I felt like something or someone was holding me and rocking me and comforting me. And freaked her out. She burst into tears and ran out of the room before the service even ended. She ran all the way back to her houseboat, and she got to the door of her houseboat, and in exasperation, she goes, screw it, I quit. And she opened the door and goes, all right, you can come in. <laughs> that's how she went to Laura, okay? Totally spiritual, right? That's where her inattentional blindness ended and her relationship with Jesus began. And now she gets up every day and she writes about this, knowing that God is with her, that God is in her midst. If you're not there yet, if you never became aware of the presence of Jesus in your life, or maybe it's been a while, maybe you've been kind of ignoring Jesus or forgotten all about him, don't worry. Don't freak out, okay? Let me quote another verse. I'll actually put it up on the screen. This is out of Psalm 23, and it's in the message version. And it says this towards the end of the chapter. God, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. Isn't that a beautiful way to put that verse? They chase after me. You see, Jesus has a way of relentlessly pursuing us and revealing himself to us and saying, I'm right here. Wake up and deal with me. Okay? And when you know that to be true, that Jesus is right with you, in your midst, in your grasp, it's then that you can look at your day, no matter how much trouble it has, and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I actually can rejoice and be glad in it. See how it all connects at the end. Okay, let me pray for us. 
God, we've all got the gift of faith that's humming inside of us, even when we don't feel like it's there. And instead of worrying about having bigger faith, Lord, help us to walk in the faith that we already have. It might be teeny-weeny, and it might be a little bitty, but it's okay to be a little bitty. It's enough, even for the tough stuff, like forgiveness. We even have enough faith to forgive people. It's actually not beyond us. And God, may we be people who constantly are saying thank you to others that you placed in our life. And please, Lord, let us say thank you to you and use our gratitude as a spiritual adhesive to bond us to one another and to bond us to you like nothing else can. And lastly, Lord, please get rid of our inattentional blindness. I have it all the time. Help us to recognize that you are always with us. You're in our midst. You're in our grasp. Because then we can say, this is the day. This is the day. Thank you so much, Lord, for all your goodness to us. We rejoice in you today. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I forgot to announce that one of you that's driving a Honda Civic, your lights are on, but you're probably screwed by now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll stick around in case you need to jump.